The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. My sister has the privilege of turning on kids' ears for the first time. That's how I describe her job. She's an audiologist who works at Boystown Research Hospital in Omaha. And she works with cochlear implant patients, many of them being children. Children who have lived in a world of complete silence. And when their new electronic ears are turned on, suddenly experience sound waves. She gets to turn on their ears for the first time. And their responses are not always favorable. So she has to turn it up very slowly. Because that noise that's generated in their hearing device is startling. It's completely foreign. But these sound waves become the gateway in which a child can now re-enter into a hearing world. Up until this point, these children, they're isolated from the communicating world. They're not able to pick up on the sound of language. They have no reference point to learn how to speak and then to learn how to read language. And my sister's job has the blessing of watching these children, these children who could not hear, now begin to thrive. But my sister's job also has the curse of watching children shrivel and proverbially die also. When parents choose not to use the device for their kids, by around age four, If sound is not heard consistently in a child's brain, the child's brain will reorganize that operating system and no longer see any need for hearing. It will go away. Not being able to hear, the child will have significant difficulty in forming understandable language with their brain any longer. Their tongue is not going to be able to operate any longer as a result of not being able to hear sound. The child will significantly struggle then with reading lips or words on a page because words are founded on what? Sound and speaking. And her grief comes when she watches these parents say, who cares? Whatever. Because she knows that now this child will be more and more isolated in their world of silence. They'll be more and more disconnected from relationship. Disconnected from human intimacy. Less known. I remember on a very small scale what it's like to feel that isolation as I started experiencing hearing loss a few years ago. I was a musician, so I was around drum sets all the time, and my ears just could not take it any longer and started giving up. And I remember that feeling of isolation as I'd be sitting at maybe our table group and a joke was told where everyone was laughing, but I couldn't quite hear the punchline. I could ask to repeat the punchline, but it lost its punch. So as everyone laughed, I would start to play along. (laughs) I have no idea what they said. 
And my wife would get more and more frustrated with me as I struggled with hearing her mumbling voice more clearly. And slowly, I found myself, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not even going to ask for clarification. I missed it. It's gone. And I just start withdrawing into my own world. Deafness in the scriptures is often a metaphor for a spiritual issue going on. It has to do with the ears. The deafness in the Bible often has to do with people refusing to hear what God has to say. Isolating into their own way of doing things. Preferring the sound of their own voice rather than the voice of the Lord. Creating sound barriers like noise-canceling headphones to block relationship with God. When we hear the word sin, we stick our fingers in our ears. When someone does something or says something we don't like the sound of, we cut them off. We close them off. We are deaf. And one of the frightening things about deafness in the scriptures is that the deaf people don't know they're deaf. They don't know they can't hear. Well, Jesus, the one who created and holds all things together, made us for relationship, for perfect relationship with God and others. But we, born in the world, were born with broken ears. From before birth, we were born hearing impaired. And Jesus, the creator, has come to restore a broken creation with new ears for all of us. But him who has ears, let him hear, he says. Let there be sound, Jesus says. For as our hearing is restored back to its original created condition, we can not only hear God's word again, we can also speak again. Only it's not our voice that people in the world will hear when we speak. It's his. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he groaned. He sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. And it is true. The question I want us to ask this morning from this passage is this. How does Jesus restore hearing to a deaf world? How does he repair the brokenness of stopped ears? There's three ways we see him 
opening not only physical ears, but spiritual ears in this passage. Now this, first, Jesus opens ears and hearts which are open to him. Secondly, he speaks his compassion with sign language. And finally, Jesus gets quieter as the world gets louder. First, Jesus opens ears and hearts which are open to him. Look with me at the first couple of verses of the passage. In this passage, which ears are open to him, to Jesus? Mark is making it clear that the ears that are open to Jesus are the ears which hear the question, Are you unclean? Are you needy? Are you blind? Are you deaf? And we answer with a definitive, yes, I am. The region of Tyre and Sidon, friends, is a Gentile region. It's a place of the dogs, the Jews would say. And throughout the region, Jesus and his disciples are seeing people come to him, not only with their physical need, but also with their spiritual need for being rescued. Last week, we saw a woman who begged for the scraps of God's blessing to come off the table, and she was welcomed to the table. The kingdom call of repent is being responded to in this region, Tyre and Sidon. The region would be known for receptivity to Jesus so much that an indictment against the Jews blocked ears would come as a result. Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, after sending out 72 of his followers with the call of the kingdom, sees Jewish cities closing their ears to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to them. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done where? In Tyre and Sidon, they would have been repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But for you, it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And encouraging his disciples who were sent out, Jesus said to them, The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And rejects him who sent me. You see this contrast between Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile nation, an unclean, dirty nation, responding with repentance. And you see the Jews blocking their ears to what Jesus has to say. Jesus is opening ears to those who are open to him. Open ears are also evident in this region as we trace Jesus's map as he's walking along. He leaves Tyre, which is along the Mediterranean Sea, and goes through Sidon to get to the Decapolis. You see that? He leaves Tyre, goes to Sidon to get to the Decapolis. This would be like heading to Milwaukee by going to the UP. There appears to be some room for Jesus to detour. Whereas one song puts it, the detour is the road. Because of an apparently, because of a people who are receptive to Jesus. The other evidence of open ears is found where Jesus lands himself in the Decapolis. This is a group of 10 plus cities that are on the east side of the Lake of Galilee. Galilee. 
If you think of it in northeast Wisconsin terms, it would be like the east side of Lake Winnebago. Okay? You know Lake Winnebago down in the Fox Cities? On the west side, it's got Highway 41, Nina, Menasha, Oshkosh, Fond du Lac. It's a little more sexy part of the Lake Winnebago. <laughs> but the west side has Chilton. <laughs> pipe is on the west side. You ever been to Pipe? Stockbridge? Reedsville? <laughs> no. Less appealing towns. More agricultural towns. But Jesus is taking his kingdom call there. Why? Because there's an openness of ears there. They see their need there. Do you remember, if you remember a little trivia on Mark and the Decapolis? We've heard about it once before, the Decapolis. Do you remember where? After the demon-possessed man was healed of a thousand demons, he said, can I go with you, Jesus? And he said, no, you stay here and tell people what the Lord has done for you. And the demon healed man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. The first missionary apostle was opening ears to Jesus in the Decapolis in Reedsville. How open are our ears, friends and saints, to Jesus' call to bring our unclean, to bring our need, to bring our deafness? I can't hear. Where is Jesus pursuing you this week to open your ears to how desperately you need him? Is there a sin pattern exposed this week that you want to la, la, la your ears to? Is there a compassionate yet concerned Jesus that you want to put on your headphones and turn your back from? Hear the question. Are you hearing your need for Jesus this week? Then run to him in repentance because he welcomes those whose ears are open to him. And church... How often are we listening carefully to those around us who are declaring their need and what we're offering them is the west side of the Sea of Galilee, not the east side. You got some parenting issues? Read this book. You got some marriage problems? Try this therapist. You got financial troubles? Implement Dave Ramsey's strategies. Do we hear the needs of others? And we direct them away from Jesus? Or do we hear the needs of others and the first thing we do is offer them Jesus? The person who goes to these places to bring help. The book might help. Therapy hopefully won't hurt. But Jesus is the one who heals. Speak, church, with his voice to the ears that he's opening around you. Secondly, Jesus speaks compassion with sign language. Look with me at verses 32 to 35. I love being in the scripture and seeing things. Initially, you don't see them, but you just read it and kind of reflect on it and marinate upon it. And then you're just like, wow, Jesus, look at your compassion. He speaks compassion with how he deals with this man. The people 
who have heard of Jesus in the Decapolis are bringing Jesus this man. The Greek literally says they're bringing to him a deaf and a mute. It doesn't even say man who was deaf and mute. It says they brought him a deaf and a mute. Like the Gentile woman, society sees this man as kind of a second class, third class, maybe not even human individual. He can't hear. He can't speak. He's really good for nothing. See how Jesus shows a compassion for this man and how he responds to him. What does Jesus do? He uses sign language. He signs to him what he's going to do. Bless you. There's controversy with my sister's work in cochlear implants. And it actually comes mainly from the deaf community who see sign language as part of their identity. They have their own way of speaking. And it makes them feel like they belong when they have sign language. So you give them cochlear implants and they're not needing the sign language anymore. Cochlear implants basically take their sense of community away from them. But look what Jesus does here. He meets the man in his need and uses sign language before he heals him. First thing he does, he takes him off privately. He honors the man's dignity and value by not making a big show of him or a spectacle of him. He already feels like a show and a spectacle. Deaf people can read faces really well. When people hear a deaf person attempt to speak, what do they think? What does the human being typically think when they hear me? They think they're stupid. Jesus knows how many faces have shamed this deaf man. And he knows how this healing might make the deaf man another object of people's attention. He doesn't want to put him on display. So he takes him away. What a sign of compassion. But the second thing he does is he puts his fingers in his ears. He's not healing him at that moment, is he? Jesus, the creator of the cochlea, the hearing center, could have spoken a word of healing and the man would have heard. He said, be healed. You can hear. He doesn't do that. Instead, he holds his fingers up to the man and puts them in his ears. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. My hands are going to heal your ears right now. What's the next thing he does? Seems kind of strange. He spits on his fingers and touches the man's tongue. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Spittle was seen in that day as having healing power. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Here's a visible sign of what is about to happen. My spit is going to heal your tongue. What compassion Christ demonstrates in meeting this man where he is, signing to him what is about to happen. He could have gathered the crowd and said, watch this. Making the man feel like even more a show pony. But instead he leaves the crowd and has a conversation in the man's language with the healing that he's about to bring. Last thing he does is he draws the man's attention upward. I'm going to heal you. Let's look up. 
Where is that healing coming from? Let's look up. He looks up toward heaven. He shows the man that what's about to happen to him is not from any kingdom or power on this earth. It's from heaven. He looks up with him. And then what does Jesus do? He groans. An utterance that that man would certainly be able to feel a vibration when you groan. You can feel that. You don't have to hear that. And it's also a sign that groaning that Jesus makes is a sign of grief over a world that is so broken. Oh, oh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. As all of creation groans for things to return back to the way they're supposed to be. Jesus groans with the man that you being made deaf is not the way it's supposed to be. And he calls upon heaven to open the floodgates of mercy and bring healing on earth as it is in heaven. Let there be sound, he declares. And the broken man's ears, they're unstopped. And his tongue is loosened, the scripture says, as if from chains. I remember working with a disabled man in the community mental health center. Very disabled man. Didn't have any form of communication besides two things, yes and no. He could only use his tongue to communicate to me. I'd ask him a question. He, would, he could shake his head no. And when it was a yes, he would... Stick his tongue out. That's how we communicated. These were long sessions sometimes. Our conversations were really slow and sometimes painful because I couldn't quite get to that yes. I was always trying to find where he would go. Yes, you got it. Yes, you understand. Yes, you got it. But we just stayed with him. Stayed communicating his language, watching his body language to see if I was tracking with him. And I remember vividly one session when I was asking questions about his favorite movie. You like to watch movies. You can watch movies. What's your favorite movie? That took about a half hour to figure out what the movie was, but we got there. It was a story. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a story of a man who had lost some limbs in war. And I remember asking him. Spirit leading me, asking him this question. Do you wish that people would see you and treat you not as a broken body, but as a person with worth and value? I'd never seen his tongue stick out so far. That's exactly what I want. See me. Don't see my disability. Friends, we need Jesus' help in learning sign language, in learning ways in which to hear and see other people's broken stories of suffering, and pointing our hands and their hearts upward toward heaven. We need to use less words. As the adage says, we're given two ears and one mouth. Listen to what people need. They don't need you to point them to Jesus so you can make a project out of them or put a notch in your evangelistic belt. No. They need you to see them as a valuable person with a God-given soul. They need you to hear them in their need and point them to his nail-scarred hands of healing. 
They need you to use understandable words, not seven syllable words. Show them heaven opened up and sent Jesus to all creation. As he groaned on the cross for things to be made right again. As he was himself spit upon and mocked. He heals the world with his love. Show them the signs of his love. Speak their language with hands, with groaning, with spit, and with eye contact. Not this modified, cleaned up, sanitized version of the gospel. Jesus opens ears to hearts and ears that are open to him. And Jesus speaks compassion with sign language. And finally, Jesus gets quieter as the world gets louder. See this in the last two verses of the passage. I just want to confess something. Over the past several years, I have really come to hate hype. I've really come to dislike hype. Billboards, likes, views, trends, all hyping up things for hype's sake. We are a hyper people. We see something we deem significant and we talk about it all the time or we post it all the time. We become evangelists for the latest app, diet, show, store, sale. Hype. And this is what appears to be happening with Jesus's secret. And the people's leaking it all over the place. Jesus heals the man and commands them Not him, but commands them to tell no one. That's a serious deal. The creator of the universe who spoke, let there be sound to this man, is telling the witnesses, say not a word of it to anyone. He's giving a charge as an authority to be silent about the speaking man. I wonder if he's saying to them, it's not your story to tell. It's not your story to hype or to post. It's not for your glory. And the more Jesus commands them to keep quiet, the scripture says, the more they speak. Why can't they keep still their tongues? Why can't we keep our mouths shut? Because we love hype. We thrive on making big deals of things. It puts us in the know. It puts us in a position of power to have firsthand knowledge. It gives us glory. What they're saying here is completely true. He does all things well. That's a quote from Genesis 1. He heals the deaf and the mute. That's a call to Isaiah 35. But they're not listening to his command to be quiet. The more they hype him up, friends, the harder it is for Jesus to have sign language conversations with the least of these Because when you're giving people a sign of something big's here, guess what people want? Guess what hyper people want? The next bigger thing. Let's see bigger. Give us another sign. Give us another show. Another thing to tell our friends about. Today is our last week in the Gospel of Mark for a time as we head this summer into the Psalms of Ascent. But we stop here for a reason. Because the book of Mark is divided into two halves, basically. The first half 
are the signs of who Jesus is. It gets louder and louder and louder. The second half are what the signs are meant to point to or signify. His death and resurrection. Jesus will become quieter as the tone of Mark gets darker and he descends on the way to the cross. Not to hype himself, but to deny himself, to give himself up. Jesus knows the hype doesn't help. Hype doesn't last. Knowing Jesus, friends, by hype alone will never save a human soul. Knowing Jesus by hype alone will never save a human soul. Knowing Jesus through faith and trust that his death was for you and in hope in his resurrection of you, that's the only knowledge that can save you. And following Jesus in faith means you get quieter as he gets louder. Like John the Baptist who said, as Jesus became more popular, I must become less so that he can become more. That's not hype language. That's sacrifice language. Where are you making much of what you know? Where are you talking a lot with your biblical, theological, spiritual, vaccinational, governmental knowledge but are listening less to what God is asking you to do. Be quiet until the right time. Where are you maybe drawn to spiritual fads or hypes or signs that God's at work, all the while forgetting your need for the cross? Emotions, where are they taking priority over what is true? Be quiet. Let his work of sacrifice speak for itself and keeping your tongue quiet. Laying down your hype for something real, something true, something lasting. Church, let's open our ears to what he, not the hyped up, sign-seeking, popularity-addicted world has to say, but what he has to say. Church, Let's show his compassion by meeting people where they are and pointing to his nail-scarred hands as the healing agent of his love. And church, let's get quieter by listening to his spirit prompt us when is the right time to speak with sacrificial language. And let's remain attentive, listening. Do this work, Father, we pray. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray that you would do a work in our ears and our hearts and our minds, Lord. To see that we have been given your voice and to see that we often speak our own more than yours. Help us to be quieter people. Help us to see the emptiness of hype to declare that you do all things well, but to declare that by how we live our lives, not just with what we say, but by what we do. Help us to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of your kingdom. Give us openness, Father, to hear what you have to say to us. 
whether it be seeing our sin, whether it be seeing an opportunity to show the sign of your compassion, or whether it be to just be still and quiet. Give us ears to hear that your voice in the world might be heard. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.